I, I notice people are going to Peru, they're going to Mexico, they're going to Japan, on and on and on, and they're going to have to learn the language. And by the way, you'll make a lot of mistakes. Uh, I'm going to tell you about the worst mistake I ever made, probably, in Japan. Uh, I would tell our ushers, and I'd give them little three by five cards, and I'd say, now, when a visitor comes, you write their name on this three by five card. And, and I'd say, now, write it in Romaji, which is Roman letters, rather than the Japanese kanji, because at that time I could not read them. And uh, so one day I was calling out the names, and uh, I, I said, uh, we're happy to have Miss Kobuta in our service today. And when I did, everybody started laughing. She was standing, and I, I knew, okay, I've made a mistake, because you can't tell good jokes in Japan, amen? <laughs> At least they won't laugh about them. They're good jokes, but they won't laugh about them. And uh, I, I thought, well, what? Horrible mistake did I make this time? And I said to one of the boys, Brother Ujika, uh, what mistake did I make this time? He said, Brother Sid, her name is not Kubota, it's Kubota. Now, Kubota is the name of a big uh, uh, la uh, land-moving company, tractors and trailers and things of that nature, and a very popular last name. And I thought, I said, Kubota, her name is Kubota. Not a big deal, okay? And I thought, my name is Sisk. I've been called Sick. I've been called Fisk. I was preaching in Greenville, Tennessee, and they had a newspaper. The um, key speaker this week will be Don Slick. I mean, <laughs> I've had all kind of, of, of names, okay? And, but then I, I made a mistake. I got to thinking. I called her Kobuta. Ko means little. Buta means hog. You put those two together, and it means pig. And I had called her Miss Pig. <laughs> now, ordinarily, that's not bad in Japan because most Japanese are very thin. But guess what? <laughs> she wouldn't, okay? She wasn't, okay? And that's one of those times you wish you could push a button somewhere and just drop out of sight, okay? <laughs> Let me have you do something with me tonight I like to hear people do. I'm going to say something, and I want you to repeat it. Now, I want you to do it real energetically so they can hear us downtown Chicago, okay? And I mean real energetic. If we do it real energetic the first time, we'll only have to do it one time, okay? Now, the Bible says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. In other words, everybody ought to give something. All right, say it with me. Everyone giving something. And everyone giving more than they ever gave before. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out, amen. If everybody gave something, and everybody ought to, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, doesn't just mean the male gender, okay? If everyone gave something, and every one of us gave more than we gave the year before, and, and you can do that, you just do it every year, and, and God will provide for you, then our mission giving would increase exponentially. And that's what the conference, one of the things the conference is all about. 
Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And I'm, I'm going to be re begin reading with verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come yourself apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were a sheep having no, a, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far spent. Send them away, that they may go into the country, round about, into the villages, buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Verse 37, look at it. And he answered and said unto them, here's your title, give you them to eat. Give you them to eat. And they say unto him, shall we go and buy 200 pennies worth of bread and give them to eat? Think about that. Give you them to eat. So let's talk for a minute about the uh, disciples' vacation. That's not a bad thing, amen? And uh, by the way, after these disciples, before they went out on their vacation, uh, Jesus met with them, and in Luke chapter 9, he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. These disciples immediately obeyed the Lord and had a very successful missionary ministry. They had seen people healed. They had preached the gospel to many people, uh, and many had been saved. Uh, they were able to cast out demons. They were able to do all kind of great things. And uh, they, they come back in, and, and they report. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and and, and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Isn't that a great verse? In other words, they, they were all so happy about all the things that had happened. 
And uh, even the demons are subject unto us. And Jesus said, that's good. I gave you that power. But don't rejoice about that. But rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Hey, by the way, that's the most important thing in the whole world. Amen. After the report which followed, the news of the beheading of John the Baptist. Think about it. These missionaries had been out on this journey. They'd gone day after day after day, and many times they went, and they, they got so busy that they didn't even have time to eat. Now, I used to think these were Baptists, but now I question that, okay? Uh, Baptists may get busy, but I don't recall us ever getting so busy we didn't have time to eat. And uh, Jesus instructed them, now listen to this, Jesus instructed them to retreat from their work. Notice the statement. Come ye yourself apart. Hey, by the way, this is great advice. Vance Havner used to say, if you don't come apart occasionally, you'll come apart, okay? By the way, rest and relaxation are not sinful, nor is it a waste of time. I've had people say to me, oh, well, the devil never takes a vacation. I said, okay, I'm not the devil, amen. <laughs> uh, I, I, I need a vacation now and then, and, and you do too. I, I have no idea what their idea of relaxation, uh, vacation would have been in those days. But I know what we do in our generation. Imagine you're at your favorite vacation place, uh, it may be a place of rest and quiet, just a place to read and just relax. Uh, it may be a fishing trip. It may be a hunting trip. If you're real spiritual, it may well be a golf resort, okay? This is time that has been designated for rest and relaxation after a busy schedule. But guess what? When they got out there, they found out that it wasn't vacation time. There were all kinds of people that are needing everything uh, in the world. And Jesus said to them, uh, give you them to eat. So I want you to notice, first of all, a great need that developed. The people were hungry. Hey, by the way, we live in a world that is hungry. 20,000 20, children die every day from starvation. We live in a world of hunger. I, I read about the hunger in Poland and in, in the Ukraine and so forth today. People are hungry all over the world. You say, uh, well, why don't they work? Why don't they farm? Why don't they do this? They don't live in the United States of America. They don't have the opportunities that we have. They are hungry. You know the fact? There is enough food in the world to feed everybody in the world. What's the problem? Unequal distribution. I mean, most of us have eaten way too much. 
And there are millions all around the world that are starving. Physical hunger is a reality, unbeknown to most of us. But you know, worse than that is a spiritual reality. A spiritual hunger. 7.9 billion people, conservatively speaking, half of them have never one time heard a gospel message. Half of them have never one time been in a church. Half of them have never been in a place where somebody came by and said, let me ask you a question. Do you know you're saved and going to heaven? And then told them the gospel message. And yet, there is enough of the word of God for everybody. Huh? You remember what Jesus, or what the Apostle John said in John chapter 2? These things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. My dear friend, when Jesus Christ shed his rich, red, royal blood on Calvary's tree, that was sufficient to save everybody that had ever lived or everybody that would ever live. So don't ever let anybody tell you that Jesus only died for a certain number of people. He is the propitiation, the sacrifice that pleases God for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. There's enough of the bread of life to go around. What's the problem? Dr. Wilkerson mentioned this in the introductory part of the service tonight. But here's the simple fact. 4% of the people of the world have English as their mother language. And yet 90 6% of all of the preaching that is done is done in the English language. Think about that. You know what that means? That means that 96% of the people of the world are preaching to 4% of the people, and the 4% of the people are preaching to the 96% of the people. And it's the very same problem, unequal distribution. Brother Wilkerson, I, I started using those statistics in 1975 when I found them. The sad thing is, it hadn't changed. It hadn't changed. A great need detected. The story is not pretty. People starving and overstuffed people have no concern. People dying and going to hell and God's people majoring on the minors rather than all-out effort to preach the gospel to all people. Listen to Jesus. Say not there yet four months and then come the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields, for they're white already under harvest. Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw the multitude, 
He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. By the way, have you noticed every time Jesus sees the multitude, he didn't get bothered about it. He didn't get aggravated about it. He had compassion on them. Then said he unto the disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Hey, by the way, nothing wrong with the harvest. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. By the way, when Jesus said that, there were only 250 million people living on planet Earth. Tonight, there are 7.9 billion people. I wonder what he would say to us tonight. Notice the various responses to the need. The various responses to the need. Uh, some of them were calloused. They came to Jesus and said, uh, send them away. Send them away. In other words, uh, we have this time all planned out. It may be that you have some very exciting plans. May not be just a vacation, but for your life. Uh, you might have well decided where I'm going to live, what I'm going to do for my work, what kind of lifestyle am I going to live. Maybe you've got all those planned out, but wouldn't it be something if we would listen to Jesus tonight and rather than having our plans, say as James told us to do, rather than saying we're going into a certain city, buying, selling, get gain, what you ought to say is if the Lord will. You know what he's saying? The Lord's will for your life is far and more important than your plans. Amen. Let me give you an example of a man that was doing something and all of a sudden his whole life changed. The man's name is Kevin Carter. He was a South American photojournalist. He went to, to Sudan during the horrible famine of the 90s. He captured a very intriguing picture. It was a vulture stalking a starving little girl. The photograph was sold to the New York Times when it appeared for the first time in March the 26th, 1993. Mr. Carter eventually won the Pulitzer Prize for the photo. However, he could not enjoy it. I am really sorry, he said, that I didn't pick the little girl up. The news people, of course, had warned them not to touch the feminine victory because of the risk of transmitting diseases. He came under criticism for not helping the little girl. A few months after receiving the Pulitzer Prize, he committed suicide. There were obviously some other circumstances that may have led to this, but those who knew him well believed that his doing nothing to help the haunt him the rest of his life. 
So the first response we have is the response of callousness. Callous. Send them away that they may go into the town by themselves. Send them away. Send them away. Sad to say. But there are many callous people. Even in our Baptist churches that hear about the great multitudes of people that are lost and dying and going to hell and literally do nothing about it. Let me give you one page out of a 19-year-old boy's journal. Listen to it. Surely those who know the great passionate heart of Jehovah. His comp consider, uh, I'm sorry, let me read that again. Surely those who know the great passionate heart of Jehovah must deny their own loves to share in the expression of his. Consider the call from the throne above. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And from around us, come over into Macedonia and help us. And even the call from the damned souls below, send Lazarus to my brothers that they may come not to this place. That impelled them by their voices. I dare not stay home. Now listen to him. I dare not stay home while the Aqua Indians are perishing who've never heard about Jesus Christ. So what if the well-fed churches in the homeland need stirring. They have the scriptures, Moses and the prophets, and a whole lot more. Their condemnation is written on their bank books and in the dust on their Bible covers. Americans, believers, have sold their lives to the service of mammon. And God has his right way of dealing with those who succumb to the spirit of Laodicea. That was one page from the journal of Jim Elliot. So some of them were calloused. Let somebody else do it. I'm, I'm busy. I've got my life all planned out. I've got my vacation, whatever, okay? But then there was another group. They were the calculating when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he said unto Philip, When shall we buy bread? Hey, by the way, anytime Jesus is asking a question, he's not asking for information, okay? He knows everything, amen? Okay. Uh, that, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew he, what he would do. And Philip answered unto him, 200 pennies worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. In other words, uh, Philip is saying, okay, okay, we've got something, but what we have 
would not make any difference. I mean, after all, look at all of the 7.9 billion people. By the way, it'll make a difference to those you get to and give them the gospel message. When the day was now far spent, the disciples said to him, this is a desert place. Send them away. Philip said, well, we had 200 pennies worth of bread. In other words, uh, we're here and we, we're so many people, but, I mean, if we did all we could, how in the world are you going to reach 7.9 billion people? So there was the calculating, okay? Then there was another response, and that was from the cautious. Uh, remember, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here which hath five barley loaves, two small fishes, but what are they among so many? What was Andrew doing? He was looking at the circumstances rather than God. And somehow he not got the idea, little is much when God is in it. Amen. In other words, Andrew said, there, there's a lad here with five pieces of bread and, and two fishes, but that's not going to help anything. So you have the calloused, sad to say, but we've got them even in our churches. We have the calculating. Well, you know, if we had 200 pennies worth of bread, that wouldn't be enough to really amount to this. And we have the cautious. Well, there's a lad here, two fishes, five pieces of bread. But what's that among so many? But then you have another response. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. So we have the compassionate Jesus. The compassionate Jesus. Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them because they were like sheep having no shepherd. Listen for just a minute about the world of 2022. What will we do? Thousands of cities desperately need a good gospel preaching church. I don't know how many times I've landed in a capital city someplace. The missionary picked me up, take me to his place, maybe 20 miles away, maybe 100 miles away. And we'd go through town after town after town. And it, it sounded like a broken record. Brother Sisk, as far as I know, there is no gospel preaching church in this city. That's a shame. A shame. No gospel. Now, he didn't say there's no Bible-believing fundamental in the... No, no, no. He says, as far as I know, there is no gospel preaching in this city. You can go all over the world, Brazil, the Philippines, Nigeria, and on and on, just 
country after country. And you'll find little children that do not have a mother or dad. Orphans. Some of you young ladies, some of you young men, ought to get a burden for people like that. Amen. By the way, it doesn't matter where you're at. There are hurting people. And when they find out that somebody is interested in them, you have an inroad to give to them the gospel message. Amen. Question. Will you choose the path of the calloused, the calculating, the cautious, or of the compassionate? Uh, I, I have no idea how many churches I've preached in. I don't keep records, okay? I, I figure God does, so no need to. I was doing it. Right? I have no idea. And, you know, I, I, I'm amazed at the type of people that God uses. No, no cookie-cutter people. I mean, you know, we're all different, and you know. But I've noticed one thing. If you find a man that's been successful in the work of God, the one indispensable ingredient is a matter of compassion. And some having compassion makes a difference. You can do without a lot of things. But if you want to do the work of God, we literally must have compassion. Question. Will we, like Kevin Carter, see the need and do nothing for fear of the risk? Or we will, we, like literally thousands before us, dare to heed the exhortation of the Lord Give you them to eat. In other words, listen to Jesus. He said, it's your job, and 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 it's your job. It doesn't matter who you are. It is our job to feed a hungry world. Amen. Give you them to eat. In one of the first meetings we had at the Sydney Newtown Baptist Church, a young lady by the name of Michiko Yamashita got saved. Her dad was a Buddhist priest. Uh, after many, many visits to him, one Sunday morning, and he began to come to church, and one Sunday morning, he and Ms. Yamashita walked down the aisle and said to me, Teacher, we want to take your Jesus as our Savior. Amen. And by the way, he became one of the most radiant, happy, victorious Christians I've ever met in my whole life. Not long after they had been saved, Ms. Yamashita said to me one day after church, Brother Sis, my dad is coming to visit us next week. I've sent him some gospel tracts. I've sent him the New Testament. I don't know whether he's read any of it or not. But I wish you'd come and tell him about Jesus. And then she said something I really like. She said, if you would, I believe you'll get saved. I like that enthusiasm. Amen. Uh, uh, Brother Ogaw and I went over on a Thursday night of that week. And her dad, Mr. Kitanaka, had arrived. 
I thought he was an old man. He was 76 years old. Of course, now I realize he's just in prime of life. Amen. <laughs> but uh, we talked about a lot of things. In Japan, you don't go directly to anything. You kind of go around the world, and finally you get to where, where you're going. And I began to tell Mr. Kitanaka about Jesus. Hey, by the way, that's worth going to the mission field any day is just to tell somebody for the first time about Jesus Christ. From the time I began to tell him about Jesus, he listened as intently as anybody you've ever heard listen to anything. Now, I got to the very heart of the gospel. And I said, now, Mr. Kitanaka, according to this Bible, and I had my Bible there, Jesus Christ did not have any sins. But when he died, he died for the sins of the world. And as best I knew how, I explained to him the vicarious suffering of Jesus Christ. And the only word that came out of his mouth was a one-syllable word, which was height. And by the way, if you're talking to Japan, Japanese, and you're not saying height, they'll stop you and say, are you listening? And if they're listening to you, they'll be saying height. It literally means, go ahead, I understand what you're talking about. And then I told him about the significance of the burial of Jesus Christ. And again, I, I understand, go ahead. Then I said, but Mr. Kitanaka, when those ladies went out on Sunday morning to look for the body of Jesus in the tomb, it wasn't there. He had been resurrected from the dead. That's great in any language, amen. He'd been resurrected from the dead. And when I said that, his eyes bugged out as much as the Japanese can bug out, okay? They have small eyes. And with tears in his eyes, he said to me, Teacher, teacher, are you telling me a real story? I said, oh, yes, Mr. Kitanaka. It's a real story. Now, now, be careful. This is a very unusual story. Sometimes you talk to Japanese for years before they really understand. But God had this man ready. And I said, Mr. Kitanaka, if you would admit you're a sinner and ask Jesus to be your Savior, he would come into your heart tonight and save you. And he said to me, teacher, do you think he'd save an old man like me? And I said, Mr. Kitanaka, I think you're just the kind he came to die for. We bowed our heads that night. I led him in a sinner's prayer. Big old tears coming down his wrinkled cheeks. And you could tell a big burden had been lifted from his heart. And it wasn't pretty, but we sang Amazing Grace that night in that little apartment. Uh, just before we came home for... Uh, an emergency furlough. My mother was dying with cancer. I, I went to the Sydney Newtown Church for the last time before coming back to America. And when I parked my car, I looked, and in front of the building where we were meeting, there was Mr. Kitanaka. And he began to, to bow to me, and of course, when he bowed to me, I bowed to him. <laughs> if you watch him, uh, there's a knack to it. You, you bow a little bit less each time. But if you bow, quit bound too soon, you're, you're uh, very 
bad manners. By the time we got close to each other, we were upright. Mr. Kitanaka put his hand on my shoulder. And I'll never forget him saying, Sensei, toy, toy, America got a good idea. What in it? Yes, something took it. Oh, shit. Kokoro kata. Arigato. Good idea. Now, I thought that night. I've got to tell the gospel to thousands of Japanese and seen several of them saved. But if this had been the only one ever saved, it would have been worth it all. I hadn't been home but a few weeks, and I got a letter from the interim pastor, Brother Sogoro Gawa, who incidentally three years later became pastor, and he's been pastor now for 57 years. And he said, Brother Sis, the old G-son went to heaven the other day, the old granddad. But he said, we had a good Christian funeral. I didn't let him worship the Spirit. I preached the gospel. Some people got saved. I kept that letter in my Bible, and I read it quite often. One day I was reading that, and I, and I couldn't help but think that. When I go back to Japan, Mr. Kitanaka won't be there. And we'd become good friends. But then I thought, but I too one day am going to heaven. And one day I'll be walking down the streets of heaven. And, and lo and behold, here come this Japanese man. Soon as he sees me, guess what he'll do? He'll begin to bow, and I'll begin to bow. Hey, by the way, we may bow for a thousand years, amen? <laughs> then he'll put his hand on my shoulder, and he'll say, by the way, we'll all understand English there, okay? <laughs> well, maybe not English, but some language, okay? common language. He'll put his hand on my shoulder, and he'll say, Sisko-sensei, teacher says, thank you for coming and telling me about Jesus. But he won't stop there. He'll go to my pastor, Brother Dave Brown. Uh, he'll go to my mom and dad. Thank you for sending your son to Japan to preach to us. I think, Brother Wilkerson, he'll go to every member of every church that supported Virginia and me. And say to them, thank you, thank you for sending the missionary to Japan. You say, Brother Sis, won't that take a long time? Amen. Hey, in heaven there won't even be a calendar, amen, let alone a watch or something. That's what missions is all about. Somebody going, preaching the gospel, getting people saved, discipling Christians, establishing churches. For the glory of God. Amen. Don't be callous. Don't say, we'll let somebody else. No, no. Don't be too calculating. Well, if I did this or that, it really wouldn't make any difference. Oh, but it will make a difference. Don't be so cautious. Well, I've got a little bit, but it wouldn't have, or it would too. Could I urge you? Like our Lord, have compassion. I'll never forget Bible school student coming one night after they'd been on evangelistic meeting, coming back to my house, Virginia and I. And Miss Yamamoto said, Brother Sis, tonight I led an 84-year-old woman to the Lord. 
And he said, after I had gone through the plan of salvation and she had prayed and asked the Lord to save her, she said, with tears in her eyes, she looked at me and she said, I've always known there must be a God like that somewhere. But I never knew of until tonight. Dear friend, don't be callous. Don't be culpable. Don't be calculating. Be compassionate. And like Jesus, for God so loved the world. Have compassion on the lost and dying world. I wouldn't doubt tonight if there's not some people that God is talking to you about maybe going to some of these towns or villages or islands that don't have anybody to preach to them. Uh, don't, don't say, wait a minute, I've got my life open. No, no, no. If God speaks to you, then do. Do what Mary said. Whatsoever he said unto thee, do it.